I'm excited to preach, got a message that's been on my heart for a while. If you're a guest here today, I've been on an 11-week sabbatical and I got back last week and I preached the first message of a series we're calling Reflections. Here's the thing, it's a series that is not a series. What that means is we knew as I would come back that I would have some things God had put on my heart that God had spoken to me that would not be just for me. There are things God has spoken to me you won't get to know about, but there are things God has spoken to me that I was supposed to go first so I could turn around and share them with you. And so four of those thoughts is what this series is about. The only reason we're even calling it a series is so you can find these four thoughts later on the internet or on our app if you ever go looking for them. But it's four things we're gonna reflect upon together. We began it last week with the phrase, come up to me when God spoke to Moses. Come up to me, I have something for you. And it looked like it was a kickoff for a week of prayer and fasting. I tried to tell you last week, it was not. It coincided for that. I hope it helped some of you go deeper and to take the step to be a part of the week of prayer and fasting. But here's what I firmly believe. God is calling us as a church to seek him in a way we never have to get something we've never had. That's gonna take more than a week. So it was not just for our week of prayer and fasting. That was not the goal of it. If we weren't doing week of prayer and fasting, I would have still preached this message. That message, I want to encourage you that over the coming months, maybe even years, to continue to go after God in a way you never had, and you may get something you've never had yet. Amen? Well, today we've got another thought that I wanna share with you. Before we go any further on that, I'm gonna ask you some questions that will help you connect with this. First of all, I'm gonna do you a favor and tell you these questions are the ones you don't raise your hand for. Now, you're gonna appreciate that in a minute. You know, because sometimes I ask a question, I expect y'all to do this. Keep your hands right here, nice and steady. So, here we go. Do you ever think about your life and maybe feel like you're just wandering, feeling a little insignificant? Do you ever feel unfulfilled when you think about what you get up and try to do every day? Or do you ever think about where you want to be and you just feel like you're not there, maybe you're actually very far behind and maybe so far behind you don't think you could ever catch up? Aren't you glad I told you not to raise your hand in advance? It wouldn't matter if you did because if everybody was honest, we would have all raised our hands. See, here's the truth. Highly successful people still feel that way. Deeply spiritual people can still feel that way at times. The truth is every single one of us at times struggles with that. And that's the thing that I think God wants us to reflect on today is why we get ourselves in that place, why those feelings can be so strong and what we can do about that. So I wanna start by sharing obviously what God was doing with me during this season. The way that I began my sabbatical was actually to go with Grace Life Church to Israel. So we actually just came back from there a few months ago. And as we began the trip to Israel this time, I wanted to do it differently from every other time I'd, I'd gone before. I wanted this time to go as a believer instead of a pastor. You know, every other time I've had to be thinking about everybody else and praying they're having an encounter and, and watching people and giving them, you know, some counsel or advice on the questions they're asking and, and explaining all these things. And this time I just wanted to be me, just me getting closer to Jesus. And so there were a couple of things I did to make sure that would happen. One of them is I brought Kent along so that if anybody had a question, I would just point to him. And then we also had a tour guide. And if we didn't know the answer, Kent would just point to the tour guide. But one of the things I did to really make sure I was on sabbatical, because you know, when you're a leader and you're always in charge, you tend to try to control how everything is going, right? And so I made sure that after I saw what time to be at the airport, I never looked at anything again. 
I, I did not have a clue what the uh, agenda or the itinerary or the schedule was. People would ask me, so what time are we leaving in the morning? And I was like, I'm on sabbatical. <laughs> I don't know. And they'd say, what sites are we visiting tomorrow? I don't know. I don't care. I will get on the bus and the bus will go where it's supposed to go. And I will get off the bus when it stops. That's all I know. And so I really did get to have the opportunity to just go and connect with God in the Holy Land in a way that I never had before. And I had a very unique experience getting baptized in the Jordan River. There's something you need to know if you ever go to Israel, one of the things that people tend to do is to get baptized in the Jordan River. It's kind of a special thing. It's the Jordan River. It's where Jesus got baptized. Everybody wants to get baptized in the Jordan River. And I don't mean to like right on your parade, but I'm just gonna be honest. I've always wondered why. I mean, I personally never wanted to get baptized in the Jordan River, and it's just my personal story, but I thought, first of all, my tradition growing up, my denomination would actually baptize babies. So that means that I got baptized pretty young. I was actually not a baby. I was old enough to remember it, but so young it didn't mean anything. Does that make sense to everybody? So later in college, when it meant something to be a follower of Jesus and I declared with my life I was gonna follow Jesus, I got baptized again. And it was in the ocean with my pastor and that was pretty cool and cool enough. I never needed to do it again. I thought, why are people all getting baptized in the Jordan River? But this time, God started talking to me about it. A little bit of help came from the fact that some of you insisted I was going to baptize you in the Jordan River since I was gonna be there. And so I was already gonna be wet. And I'm like, I don't know why these people do this, but I guess I'll go baptize them. And God started talking to me about maybe it's time for me to be baptized in the Jordan River. And my conversation with God was a little like, why? I don't need to be baptized again. And God reminded me about Jesus. He was baptized in the Jordan River and his baptism was not a baptism of repentance like you and I do. He didn't have anything to repent of. Scholars can argue a little bit about what Jesus was doing. I tend to agree with the, one of the major opinions, and that was that Jesus was surrendering fully to the calling the Father had on his life. You know, this was the beginning, really, of his earthly ministry. He was baptized by John, his cousin, John the Baptist, and then he goes off and begins his earthly ministry. I believe he was saying, yes, Father, what I came to do, I'm still on board. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it fully to the point of death on the cross. I believe he was surrendering to that. And so what I, 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 as I was praying about where I was in life, you know, again, I told you last week, I, was, I just turned 50. I'm on a sabbatical. I've been in part-time or full-time ministry for uh, 30 years. And, and, and there's just, it's been a long time for sabbatical. And I was really having some conversations with God. Am I where I'm supposed to be? I didn't mean job-wise, relax. But in what God's called me to do in my journey with him in the course that he's given me in life, like, are we good, God? Like, am I missing something? What does the future hold God? God, what do you really want for me going forward? And I have a life verse that I'm gonna share with you today, but what I did that day in the Jordan River because my pastor, one of the three men who pastor me and oversee my life was one of the guys on the trip. So he was there, he was already in the water and I asked him, I said, David, will you baptize me? And what it is for me today is a surrender, a renewed surrender and a renewed commitment to my life verse to the calling that God has put upon my life. And particularly, as I'm gonna show you in a minute, there were three words in my life verse that are standing out above all of the rest. And over the last few months, uh, maybe even up to a year, those three words have just gotten brighter and brighter, like a flashing neon sign that just keeps getting brighter every time it flashes, something that God's really been putting on my heart. It's the three words, finish my course. And we're gonna talk about those in depth today. But as I was they're thinking about the significance of these words and really been trying to figure out, you know, maybe I should put them somewhere that they're always in front of me. You know, most of you probably do this. If you've 
got something that you love, you stick it on a mirror or something like that. So I was thinking, I would get a little sign made for my office. And then I thought, well, I might go further than that. I might get a little one, put it right on my desk. And I decided I'm gonna go much further than that. So I decided I was gonna get these three words tattooed. Come on. Nobody with me? Y'all don't think that's a good way to commit to something for your life? That's a pretty good way to commit to something for your life, right? So check it out. This is the tattoo design I have right here. Tell me what you think. Come on. Good? Yeah? All right, there you go. See, nobody has really clapped for that yet. I think because every one of you knows that's not on his arm. Like, he didn't do that. Like, let me tell you the truth. Here's the true story. Uh, I actually did decide I was going to do it. First of all, because I'm standing in the Jordan River being baptized by my pastor, recommitting the rest of my life to these, those three words. I will finish my course. God, I said, no matter what, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. You know, reason, one reason I don't have any tattoos yet, first of all, is because there's nothing, I'm a little OCD, and there's nothing that I've actually wanted to see every day of my life for the rest of my life. I change my mind on occasion, you know, new clothes, new furniture, that sort of thing. So that was my first issue. Second issue is I'm, I'm just from a different generation. When, when I grew up, if someone had their arms in tattoo sleeve, like, you know, all, all full arm, it, it meant that they rode a bike and they could crush you with their thumbs. But today it simply means that you're a chef and you make the best lobster bisque. (laughs) So let's just be honest, tattoos have changed a little bit. So I actually decided, you know what? I think I can get outside of my cultural comfort zone and I'm gonna get my first tattoo. I really was gonna do it. Another pastor and I, we made an appointment because here's the second reason to do it. The oldest tattoo shop in the world is in Jerusalem. I'm like, I'm coming out of the Jordan River and going over to Jerusalem to the oldest tattoo shop in the world. I'm gonna get my first tattoo. This is gonna be really cool, right? And then one of the other pastors pointed out, yeah, but Jimmy, when you leave Israel, aren't you going to the Caribbean? Because like tattoos and sand and salt and sun, and they don't mix, man. They're actually, they can be kind of toxic. Like you could like get poison, like you could lose your arm. I'm like, I don't want to come back from sabbatical with one arm. So no tattoo yet may happen. But here's the real point. The real point of all of that is I believe those three words are the reason for all those things we were talking about you feeling earlier. I think the reason we feel like we're wandering or it's insignificant life or we're unfulfilled or we're just behind is because we don't believe that we're on our course or have any good godly chance of finishing our course. And so that's what we're looking at today. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Uh, We're going to start in verse 22. While you are turning there, I'm going to give you the context for what we're about to read at this point in time, the story in Acts chapter 20. uh, This is the early church in the first century, and Paul has become the dominant figure in the early church. He is the one who has... Uh, begun to take these missionary journeys where he would travel for years at a time declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. He would reveal it through Old Testament scripture and, and miracles were happening and God was just moving in such an incredible way and Paul was the primary figure of that story. So as I said, he had taken some missionary journeys. That means he would go out for a few years at a time, come back home to his home church, which was in Antioch, and then he would go out again and come back and then he went for the third time. And this is the end of his third missionary journey. Now he does not know if it's going to be his final journey. There's a good chance that that's in front of him. He has a dream of a fourth journey at the least. He has somewhere he really wants to go. The truth is we don't know that he ever actually made it there. We all debate that because of what is about to happen to him in front of this. And what he knows at the end, as he's nearing the end of his third missionary journey, is things are about to get very, very difficult for his life. And so as he is headed towards Jerusalem, not back to his home church, 
for some difficulties, ready to meet them head on. He's gathered a group of church leaders. They're actually the elders of the church in Ephesus. It's where we get the book of Ephesians. And what's really neat about the passage that he is about to give us is it's one of the first and longest and most in-depth teachings strictly to Christians. Most everything else he writes and says is written to a mixed audience of people he wants to become believers, people who are trying to be believers but are really confused, some Gentiles, some former Jews. These are people who are following Jesus as the Messiah. They are all elders in a church. And so here we go, verse 22. He says to them, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. But I do know this, the Holy Spirit testifies me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. You see, what has been happening up until this point as he's been nearing this part of the story, the Holy Spirit's been telling him in his spirit, difficulties are coming, persecution and suffering is coming. The Holy Spirit has been telling other people, they've been coming up to him with prophetic signs and prophetic words. Some of them tied up his hands saying, this is going to happen to you. And so everybody is looking at him and saying, what are you doing, man? It's been very clear. The Holy Spirit told you. The Holy Spirit told us. We told you. Everybody knows difficulties are coming. Suffering is coming. Persecution is coming. You should run the other way. And Paul says, can't do it. I'm going. Why are you going, Paul? Well, he told us. I'm constrained by the Spirit. I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you let me know it's not going to be my best day tomorrow, but the Holy Spirit's the one telling me this is God's will for my life. I've got to go. Think about that. God's will, suffering. How often do we think that if we experience suffering, God has abandoned us? And how many of us, if we know by the Holy Spirit that that step leads to suffering, how many of us would take a different step? Well, here's the truth. Some of us have already had much suffering on our course, haven't we? And some of us are going to have much more suffering on our course. And that is why Paul's next statement matters to us so much. Because despite the suffering that he knew was coming, that he knew was part of God's plan for his course, he said, but I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. I know suffering is coming. I know imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. I just want to do one thing, man. All I care about, not avoiding the suffering, not avoiding the prison, not avoiding the persecution, if only I may finish my course. If I can just do that, don't you guys be worried about it. He actually told him, you'll never see my face again. He told him, don't worry, you'll never see me again. Don't worry that I may die. Don't worry that I may go to prison. Again, big deal. I've been in prison before. I've been shipwrecked before. I've been stoned and left for dead before. I've been whipped and beaten before. Man, they, they've got nothing on me. So don't worry when that happens to me. Oh, let's say again. Because I'm just looking up to my God and if only I may finish my course, which he goes on to say is the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is my life verse. And I've told you this before, uh, but I used to make fun of or at least laugh behind your back people who came to me and said, this is my life verse, whatever your verse was. Because I would look at you and think, have you read this? You've read all this. And you came up with one sentence out of all this that you think is it? And I would, I'm like, those people are crazy. And then God impressed this one upon me. And at least for me, this really does encompass all of that. Because obviously, 
My course from God is to obey everything he's ever told me. So that brings every bit of this into there. And if I can just make sure that nothing in this world, nothing in my life is ever more important than finishing what God put me on earth to do, then that's what I'm living for. And so if you have a light verse, I will no longer mock you. But with that being said, I want to make sure we understand the depth of some words that Paul uses here, because I think we can just kind of blur through them. But I want to highlight the word finish. Paul said, I want to finish. Many Christians today do not live with the end in mind. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Paul's talking about finishing, but many Christians today simply do not live with the end in mind. We need to be reminded we will all stand before God to give an account for our lives. We will answer for it, and we will answer for the entire life, not just a season that went well. You know, I think many of us do well for a season. Truth is, I have met very few people who don't do well for a season. Many of you may know somebody. They were on fire in their faith. They were so passionate. They were the first one in the building. If there was a week of prayer and fasting, they were at every meeting. And then you haven't seen them in church in a period of time. They don't read their Bibles anymore. We probably know somebody who they were doing really well for a season. Some of you are there yourselves right now. You, you were really on fire. And now you just kind of come along and you sort of listen a little bit. It's not the same season you used to be in. Because see, it's easy to get off course. Maybe sin comes into your life and the guilt and the shame that goes with that gets you off course. Maybe disappointment with God comes into your life and it gets you off course. Maybe just the difficulty of life. Come on, life is hard, everybody, right? If we can go back to really where I was standing in the Jordan River as I was getting baptized, I'm gonna be transparent with you. I was having some conversations with God during the season and for my sabbatical of, you know, God, what's... What's next? What's going on? You know, I'll be honest with you, and I mean this in a humble way, but I, ever since I got saved and made Jesus the king of my life, serving him has not been my greatest difficulty. I've, I've made some sacrifices along the way, been willing to make some career changes. I've, I've been able, it's been easy for me. I think partially I get to live in America and, you know, I mean, it's, it's a good, good life, right? So uh, it's been easy for me to say, God, I will serve you. You know, but one of the questions that I was asking is, is there something different? Maybe, can I have something that's a little easier? Because as I look back, I thought, you know, I can, I'm not ashamed of what I've done so far, but being a public figure for God is not always easy. Being a public figure in this world is not always easy. If you have an opinion, somebody's going to argue with it and attack you for it. And, and, and so I happen to believe God is God, his word is true, and that there's a certain way we live. And well, when you stand up and say that every week, you tend to get some pushback. You get some from the enemy. You get some from the people who represent the enemy. You get some nasty emails and whatever. And, and I was just kind of at a place of like, eh, I don't know, man. Am I really going to have to do this like another 40 years, you know? If I could just be honest. I shouldn't tell you this, but some of you come up to me in the hallway and you ask questions about things here and you say, hey, I'd like to lead this or do that or I have a question about that. And I answer with, well, you should talk to pastor so-and-so and you look at me and go, who is that? And I think, wait a minute. There is someone here who gets paid. They serve God. They go home fulfilled and they don't get nasty emails from you because you don't even know they're there. Can I, I'm jealous. Can I have that job? I want the job. Like, and so there was a little bit of me as we're going through the, the sabbatical that is saying, you know, God, I think I've done well. Can I, can I find something easier? And God reminded me, what do you want to hear? 
Too many Christians don't have the end in mind. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear, well done. I don't want to hear, you've done well for a little while, Jimmy. I don't want to hear, you've done well until you hit 50, then you coasted for 40 years, took a little bit of a vacation. No, I want to hear, well done. And the only time you hear, well done, is when you are done, done, finished, well done. And that meant that I had to stand there and say, okay, God, I recommit to finish my course. I'm no longer looking for an easier way out. Second word that I think does not get enough emphasis. It's actually the most important word to me right now. Uh, You saw it in my dream tattoo design there. It's the word my. And the word my, I think, has lost its significance and emphasis for many of us because we have forgotten something. Hear me when I tell you this. You will answer to God only for your course. No other course, no other person. You will only answer to God for your course. And I don't know about you, but that's been one of my most difficult struggles. And I'm gonna be transparent again and tell you this because I know I'm not alone. I've struggled with insecurity my whole life. And I know many, many of you do as well. You're all looking at me. Oh, really, Jimmy? And you're all looking kind of holy at the moment. But, but I know that you also are constantly thinking, am I good enough? I don't measure up. And there's something that's always plaguing you. And even though God has delivered me of that and great healing, it doesn't stop the enemy from whispering, coming to you. And that's one of the reasons I stay off of social media because the, the enemy whispers that I am insignificant the most when I'm on social media. I mean, and I've got good friends and well-meaning people and, and everybody's just celebrating the goodness of God. I'll get on social media and there's one of my friends and he's pastoring and he's, he got to preach somewhere around the world to a stadium with 30,000 people in it. Shut up, man. <laughs> and his next post is, hey, celebrate with me. My book just got published. Not to mention he pastors a church by the ocean and angels sing when he preaches. I'm sure none of that, but that's the way we all read social media, right? The devil gets in there and whispers. You see, we need to be reminded that the only course that you'll stand before God and answer for is your course. And, and someone else's course may, you know, look shinier at times, but I've struggled. I think we've all struggled with accepting my course. My The only course you'll answer for is yours. A couple more words to emphasize that Paul said, after he says all of this, finish my course, then he explains this ministry that I received from. I didn't make it myself. I didn't come up with it. It wasn't my dream. It was God's dream for me. I embraced it. I received it from the Lord Jesus. Here's a hard truth, everybody. You don't create your course. Sorry that our world has lied to you. Be all you can be. Come up with your best dreams. It is all up to you. No. Look, if we could be anything we wanted to be, I would be seven feet tall. And in the NBA, you'd be listening to somebody who speaks better than me right now. Absolutely true. I'm just telling you, I love to play basketball. Unfortunately for my dream, I'm not good at it. I'm so not good at it. Even if I were seven feet tall, I still wouldn't be in the NBA. So look, I mean, it's just, you don't get to create your dream. Matter of fact, you were created for your dream by God. You don't choose your course. You were created for your course. God has made you for this moment, for significance. Paul, who is saying, look, God gave me this for my course, also wrote 
to the Ephesian church one of the greatest statements we need to know about ourselves. Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You don't get to choose them because they were made long before you got to earth. If we should simply walk in them. What that means? God prepared a course for you. He made you uniquely to be able to walk it and excel at doing something meaningful upon that better than anybody else because it is your course. They are your works. You are gifted for it and you are meaningful because you are a uniquely crafted and created being by your God in heaven. The only course you'll answer for is yours. And then one last thing that I want you to see that is so significant. Paul went on in verse 26 to say, therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. I'm innocent of the blood of all. When you first read that, that seems incredibly bold. Paul, how in the world could you say like, man, I've been walking around preaching. Some people haven't liked it, you know, and I'm innocent. I shake the dust off my feet. I sleep well at night. Seems a little bold. You might say seems a little arrogant. The reason I want to point this out is because Paul has something that we all need. It's peace. He has peace. You know why he has peace? Because he says, I'm on my course. My only dream is to finish my course, but I'm on my course. Since the day I met Jesus, I was on the way to Damascus. I was persecuting Christians. Jesus came and he changed my, my life completely. No longer am I persecuting Christians. Now I am a Christian. Now I am preaching. He is the Messiah to other people, hoping they become a little Christ, a Christian. This is all I want to do now. I've been on that course ever since. I have never once been afraid of what people will do if I speak for Jesus. I've never been afraid to, to declare he is. I've never worried about the punishment. I've never worried about the beatings and the shipwrecks in the prison. I've never worried about near death or even when death is coming. I do not care because I've been on my course. So if somebody's rejected my words, I'm innocent, man, because I have never been afraid to stay on my course. And I think that what we all need is the same inner peace to wake up every day and say, I'm not perfect and I don't make everybody happy and my paycheck doesn't matter. What matters is that I know I'm looking God in the eyes. He's looking at me and going, you're on course. I'm on course. And if I'm on course, all I need to do is finish my course. But inner peace, the peace that we all want where you don't feel insignificant, where you don't feel like you're wandering, where you don't feel like you're lost, where you don't feel like you're behind is when you know you're on course. And everybody else's reactions to what God's called you to do, well, that's between them and God. But you're on course. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, sadly, first of all, we need to understand that many today are running a course that will not hear well done at the end of it. They just won't. But I hope today, the reason I'm sharing this is that every one of us can be people who do hear well done. How many, you, this is the one you raise your hand for. How many people do want to hear well done because you've been on course and you have finished your course? Okay, so real quickly as we wrap up, if we're going to commit to God that we're gonna finish our course, what we need to do is look at the primary reasons we end up off course. What happens to us that causes us to get off course? I believe there are three courses we find ourselves on if we're not on the one that God has for us. The first one I'm gonna simply call the comparison course. Look, it's just, it's exactly what it sounds like. We look around at everybody else and we want their course. We want what they have. They look happy, they look wealthy, they look famous, they look successful. We look at what they have, we want what they have. We want their fame, we want their fortune, we want their smiles, we want their success. 
Our problem is very, very simple. You will never be satisfied or find peace on somebody else's course, no matter how much success that you have. And, and I can prove it to you because in our world today, all around us, we see incredibly wealthy people kill themselves. We see star athletes in the NBA and the NFL kill themselves. We see actors who have made movies that we all wanna be like kill themselves. Why? Because they've had success and it wasn't enough. You see, we're not called to have some kind of success. We're called to have peace on our course. It's a very, very different thing. Let me share this with you. Success is not what we're after. Mother Teresa, great quote. She said, God has not called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. You will find peace and happiness when you are faithfully on your course, no matter where it takes you. But no amount of success on any other course will ever be enough. It'll always leave you wanting more. I just, if, if I could give you this picture, what comes to mind for me when I hear Mother Teresa say, he's only called me to be faithful, what comes to mind is the parable of the talents. I don't have time to preach that whole thing. We're, we're behind and I'm, I'm moving as fast as I can. But it's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But here's, here's just a nutshell version of what I want you to see out of that today. Jesus taught this story that a master came to three of his servants, individually, by the way, and I think because they each had their own course. He came to one, he said, I'm gonna give you five talents. A talent was a measure of money. He said, I'm gonna give you five talents. You work with it. I'm gonna come back and see what you've done. Went to the next one. He gave him two. Went to the next one. Gave him one. He came back. Again, we're doing this quick. He came back and he went to the guy with five. The guy said, I've turned it into 10. You know what he said to him? Well done, good and faithful servant. So then he goes to the guy with two. The guy with two had turned it into four. And he says to him, well done, good and faithful. Wait a minute. The guy with two can get faithful? Think about this. What if the guy with two had gotten tra trapped and pulled off on the comparison course? What if the guy with two had started going, well, I don't understand why you're giving that guy over there five. If I can't have five and I can only have two, I, I wanna be like him. Every one of us does it, we look in the mirror. I want, I wanna be an athlete, I wanna be a musician, I wanna be famous, I wanna be taller, I want my hair to be blonde, I wanna have hair. I mean, it depends on whatever your problem is, you know what I'm saying? But we all, we're, all, we're, the, we're the guy with two, and we're all looking over the guy with five. Man, if I can't have what that guy's got, I'm just not even gonna try, just give up. Well, he's gonna turn his into 10. I could double mine, I could triple mine, and I can't ever catch up with him. I'm just gonna give up. Good news, he didn't. The guy with two, so I got two, two's my course, I'm gonna answer for two, and he heard, well done, good and faithful. Again, you will only answer to God for your course. The guy with two is only meant to have four. Don't compare. Stop looking around because what somebody else is doing, it might be from God. They might be a five talent. It might not be from God. You don't want to chase it. Be faithful to your course. Second course that we can find ourselves on is the world's course. Look, Jesus made it real clear. There's a different world around us. When he prayed for his disciples right before his crucifixion, he said, they are not of this world. I am not of this world. At another time, he said, Satan is the ruler of this world. There will be a day when Satan will be completely dethroned and all of his influence will be cast out. The earth, the world around us will be perfect. Everything will be restored. Everything will glorify God. Everybody will bow before the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That day is not today. 
And here's what you need to understand. This is what some of you are not gonna like this. Don't send me an email because I don't even care anymore. But some of you need to understand. I have freedom in my sabbatical. But what that means is that if you can imagine a kid on their birthday in a candy shop, like an old-fashioned candy shop, and the mom takes it to the candy shop and is like, it's your birthday, you can have anything you want. You just go get it, you can touch it all, get it all, fill your pockets, I'm paying for it all, it's all sweet, it's all good, anything goes. And the sad part is that Christians live in this world today like you were in that candy shop. Anything goes, everything is good, everything is sweet and good for you, and your daddy will pay for it someday, but he won't. Because everything around us is not sweet and good. We live in a world that has an ungodly ideology and an ungodly culture. It is not what God wants for his children. We live in a world that has a different standard of truth. Come on, can I get an amen on that one? We live in a world that doesn't even believe that God has the right to define what is right and wrong anymore. We live in a world that doesn't even agree there is a God. If there is a God, is he a he, a she, and it, and who knows where, what, and when. We live in a world that has a completely different set of values. So when you try to chase that, you end up in some strange places because we live in a world that redefines the meaning of life and therefore the very definition of success in the first place. That's the world we live in. And that's why it is so incredibly for us, easy for us as humans, even Christians, to get lost in this world and to get distracted with all of the candy around us. Because the world has set a course. The world's course says, look, you, you need to impress others. You need to accumulate stuff. You need to accomplish things. We like titles. We like degrees. We like corner offices. We like fancy cars in the parking garage on the way home. We like financial success. We like self-promotion. We like pursuit of pleasure, especially when it's not the way God wants us to have it. And I think the pinnacle of the world's course right now is when we put human reasoning above God's word. Look, I'm gonna make this extremely simple. If you're like, Jimmy, do you have a diagnostic tool for how I can know if I'm on the world's course? Thanks for asking. Yes, it's this simple. If you are on a course that is focused on career, money, houses, cars, vacations, degrees, promotions, pleasure, above God, you're on the world's course. You can have all of that. Nothing is wrong with any of that when it is below God. But at any point that you put those before your worship, your obedience to God, and your generosity you're on the world's course. It's that simple. One last thought on the world's course. Paul goes on to tell these guys that he's talking to, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. The flock, of course, they're a group of church elders, so they're overseeing a group of people that are a part of their course, and it is their course to take care of those people. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to them, because I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Here's what you need to know. Not everybody who comes across your course in this world is meant to be a part of your course. There will be many, many people in this world that will come across your course. It does not mean they're meant to be part of it. We've got to be discerning. Who are the people that God has called to be a part of your course? Walk faithfully with them. Who are people that are not called to be a part of your course? Be careful their influence upon you. And that leads us to our final course that some of us are on, and I'm simply going to call it the disillusioned course. Kendrick was the last of our guest preachers two weeks ago, and he just said it as simply as it can be said, life can take the dream out of you. Life is hard. It hurts. Life in this fallen world 
can take everything that you've been hoping for away. And so what ends up happening is practically many of us have just given up. We didn't even say no to God. We just gave up. We just started living an apathetic existence, just going through the motions. And if anybody asked how you feel, despair and depression are the only two words you know. There was a gathering of university presidents talking about the difficulties they see in the generation in their schools today and what they're facing. And they all came up with the agreement that the current generation is missing one thing. And if you're in that generation, I'm here to help. I'm not speaking down. Don't, don't hear me wrong. But they said that what this current generation is missing is resilience. When they get hit, they don't know how to keep moving. When they get knocked down, they don't know how to get up. And it's no fault of your own. If you're in that generation, it's no fault of your own. It's largely a fault of the generation that came before you. Because somehow we've created the idea, maybe it's the participation trophy where you think you win no matter what you do. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, I don't know. I, I haven't done enough research to tell you all the reasons that this current generation is struggling and saying, can I just check out? It's too hard. But somehow, somehow you've come to believe that there's no hope. That if I tried again, it wouldn't end any better. That even if I went to God, he wouldn't be there for me. And I have hope for you. Matter of fact, I have hope for everybody. That's enough bad news about all the courses. I want to leave everybody with a place of hope. Here you go. The simple truth is many of us today need a course correction. Especially those who are on a disillusioned course. I want to show you someone in the Bible. Because what they do is give us a picture of our God. His name was Jonah. And Jonah was asked by God to do something. He was given a course. God said, as clear as day, go and do this. Jonah had zero question. You know, sometimes we pray and we're not 100% sure what God has for us. Jonah doesn't have that excuse. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do and he didn't want to do it. So he actually looked at God and said, ain't going to do it. Running the other way, bought a ticket, got on the boat the opposite direction. As the story goes, he was thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish. Now, I'm just going to pause and tell you, in order for you to connect with your God, you have to believe his word. So if you don't find that story believable, go back to our website. I did a series on Jonah. And in the first part of that series, I explained how that is actually scientifically possible and you can believe God's word. But I've got to go on. That's not our point. But in the fish, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish saying, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress. I was utterly rebellious. I'd gone the opposite direction. I told God I didn't care what he wanted and I hated the people he was sending to me. And despite that, he answered me. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Are you kidding me? To look God in the eyes, so to speak, and to say, no. I mean, if you've ever been a parent, it takes everything in you not to send that child to heaven in that moment. <laughs> but for us, it would be unholy. In God's world, that's perfectly holy, like rebellious human. Yep, we're dealing with you. Now, I mean, come on, I'm just going to tell you, like, for God. And God looked at him and said, oh, you want a second chance? Come on. He's going to look at some of you and go, you need a second chance? Come on. Third? Oh, I got those two. 
fourth chance. Oh, I'm not beyond that. And let me tell you why. It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Can somebody say never with me? Never. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. You see, if God can look at one of the most rebellious humans ever and go, that's all right, I'll give you a second chance. You're a little dirty, covered up with all that vomit and sand there, but that's all right, I can still use you. He can use you. And he wants you back on course. And he is there, his mercies are new every morning. That's not just a, a phrase we sing in church. You need to understand the word mercy means that we do not get the punishment we deserve. You got off course, yeah, you deserve to be left there. Yeah, you deserve to be judged for it, but his mercies are new. If you are ready to say, God, I want to be back on course and I wanna finish it, you just come right back over here. It's Jesus on the cross, forgiveness for us. His mercies are new every morning. So very simply, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for three groups of people. And I promise you, every one of you is going to fit in one of these three groups. Let me tell you how I'm going to pray. Last, I will pray for those of you that are not on your course at all. And you never have been because you have yet to make Jesus your king. You see, Jesus has a course for you in his kingdom. But if you have never made him your Lord and Savior, you're still living outside of that. You've got to say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. And then you are immediately transplanted onto that course where you can follow him for the rest of your life. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that in a minute. You're going to be the last people I pray for. Second group of people we're going to pray for are those of you that you've found yourself on one of those three courses. It's either the world's course, it's the comparison course, or the disillusion course, and all you need to say is, God, forgive me, help me. I got lost. I lost my way. I got disappointed in the world where all that shiny promotion stuff and all the stuff and the money, it just looked good and I went after it. Or what that person had looked good and I went after it. Forgive me, I'm coming back. And if you don't fit in one of those two groups, then you fit in the group of people who you're, you're currently on course. And you just need to do what I did in the Jordan River this summer and say, God, that's the rest of my life. For as much as I can promise, I want to finish my course. Please help me. By the grace of God, don't let me do anything except finish what you put me here to do. I think you fit in one of those three, amen? So, let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that your mercy is new every day. That although we constantly are going astray and, and deserve some kind of punishment, that you withhold that out of your love, out of your grace, your mercy is new. And so God, right now I pray for every person here, every person online, that we'd experience that mercy in one of those three ways. God, first I'm gonna pray for those who are on course, maybe, not moving exactly the speed they want to, but right now I wanna make a renewed commitment. God, nothing, not my last breath itself, will come before finishing my course. God, I renew my commitment to you that whatever you've put me here to do, it is all I want to do. Whatever blessing or whatever suffering, I receive it and I commit to it. I pray now for the second group those who have found themselves off course. God, I pray for them that you would ignite a flame of passion, of vision for their course, that they would look over and go, oh man, I want to do that. I want to get back on to that course. I want to live all that God has for me. God, I pray that they would experience your forgiveness and your mercy as they come back on the course. I even pray that they would then find themselves in the other group saying, I just want to finish it. I just want to finish it. 
And if everybody would just stay in a place of prayer, now I want to speak to that group I said I would talk to last. Jesus came to the earth. He lived a perfect life. Then he died on the cross, suffering the punishment and the penalty for sins in our place. Because he had lived a perfect life when his body was broken and his blood was shed, he was able to pay for sins that belonged to you and me and not his own because he didn't have any. And then once our sins are forgiven, we are made right with God. That gives us eternal life for our future with God. But as we've been talking about today, what that also means is that from now until heaven, that we get a meaningful and purposeful life, a course through which we can make a difference in this world. And all of that is what we call the free gift of salvation. And that's my hope for you today. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, would you simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?